Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hour down three to play on a Tuesday night get-together here on 94 WIP. Good because we've got little sixes to talk, a little Phillies to talk, and you know we got Eagles to talk because we're right in the midst of a season, a first-place season, a 3-5-1 and one season with questions attached. Here to answer some of those questions, uh, a guy who covers them on a day-in, day-out basis, does a heck of a job for both Sports Illustrated and phillyvoice.com, and is extending the play podcast as a must-listen for all Eagle fans. John McMullen, good enough to get with us again this week here on 94 WIP. How are you, Jay Mack? Hey, Jody. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, like most others, and what seems to have been the most talked about topic since the game, uh, disappointing game on Sunday against the Giants, is the head coach, Doug Peterson. Before we get into the X's and O's and player decisions and usage and play calling and everything else, where do you think his head at is at right now? And is it fair to judge on what he says after the game with his press conference the next morning with Angelo here on WIP, the next afternoon with you guys via Zoom. Uh, can you get inside Doug Peterson's head with what he says? Because you guys don't have any other direct access, and you need to use that for interpretation. Where do you think the coach's head is at right now? Yeah, it's not as easy to tell, no question about it, in this environment, in this Zoom environment. If you're there, if you're at the every day and basically when we are there we just get to go in watch practice then we have to leave so uh it's not the same you can't get quite the same feel you don't have the off the record stuff to get uh context and things like that so um 2020 is different and it's more difficult uh so i i will say that but um you know doug is a pretty honest guy um and I've gotten to know him enough over the years that he's been here uh, to kind of get a feel, I think. And, you know, one of the things I I think he made a mistake with this week is uh, he should know Philadelphia by now. I mean, he was here as a player. He was here as an assistant before he came back as a head coach. And uh, when he's asked the questions about being the play caller or, or things of that nature, and I think you saw it in Chicago, I mean, you know, when personnel is the issue, changing the play caller is not going to make a whole heck of a lot of, uh, of difference. But you shouldn't say you're doing a good job when you're 0 for 9 on third downs. I, I think that was his biggest mistake uh, this week, and I think he probably realizes that at this point. Fair enough. And do you think he'll skim back? Uh, now there's no major gatherings until after the next game is played, but do you think he'll just say, all right, we'll live with this one, even though I probably misstated it. Uh, we'll hope to be better in the next game against the Browns, and then I can say, yeah, I do like the Florida. I like my uh, <laughs> mental connection to Carson Wentz. We're okay. Well, we, we get to talk, Doug, 
to Doug tomorrow and, and Friday. So uh, there's a, a couple more opportunities for him to speak. I, I don't think he's going to say I made a mistake, but I, I do think, you know. We it, did, hold on, hold on. Let me Let me just intercede. He did that once this year. And between you and me, I didn't agree that he made a mistake. The next day he came out and said, you know, on second thought, uh, maybe we should have gone for it against the Bengals rather than just punted it away and settling for a tie. So it hasn't been like he hasn't skimmed back before. You're dismissing the possibility of that tomorrow. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, he has even the fourth and ten play, uh, which I thought was a, a really bad decision uh, by Carson Wentz. At times he admits, look, there are different ways um, maybe the quarterback could have gone or the offense as a whole uh, could have gone. So it, it's occasionally. Uh, I guess my bigger point is I don't think anybody's going to ask him, do you want to go back? <laughs> Not like the Brett Favre press conference where everybody kind of led him to water. Right. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to go back to that. So it's more of, of that than anything else. But uh, again, I think, when he thinks about it, uh, 0 for 9 is 0 for 9. I mean, it's really difficult to play 60 minutes of football in the modern NFL environment and not convert a third down. That's that's tough to do. It really is. John McMullen, our guest here on 94 WIP. Uh, I, uh, you mentioned that you're allowed to see practice minimally and uh, not a whole heck of a lot of it. You can only make so much judgments out of it, but... There was a report floating around this week that Carson Wentz practice habits aren't always what they need to be. Again, you've got a limited view of that, and you get a chance to talk to some of these players, but not as much as you used to. If that were the case, do you think you would know? Uh, yeah, but I think the definition of, of sloppiness, and it was a Mike Silver report, and, you know, I – I haven't seen Mike in Philadelphia in, I think, three years. So, I mean, clearly he's getting that from somebody else. Um, And uh, you can't see much in the first 10, 15 minutes of practice uh, during the season, but we we do get to watch entire practices uh, during training camp, which was obviously truncated. Uh, And and even if you go back to – Carson's rookie season when, when Frank Reich was still here, John Filippo were still here. I mean, those guys would talk about, look, he's got to improve mechanically. Uh, he's, he, that's one of the, the biggest things that he had to tackle uh, coming in as a young player, and I think that's continued. But I think if you look at the evolution of football and you look at some other great quarterbacks, and I'm not putting – by the way, Carson in this category, but take somebody like Patrick Mahomes, who's an MVP-level player. I, I've always compared him as like Steph Curry in basketball, what Steph Curry was to the NBA. You know, Jody, if you go back 10, 15 years, and you had a player pulling up from 30 feet shooting a jumper, a coach might have strangled him, might have run on the court and strangled him. It, it's not something you want to teach other players to do. But he was that good. And that's Patrick Mahomes with the different arm angles, the no-look passes. Guess what? You're not going to teach a high school kid to do that. So there's a lot of this baseball mentality, shortstop throwing. 
Uh, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Carson Wentz has been in that category. These are not traditional, mechanically sound quarterbacks, and I think part of that is baked into this. So if you're going to talk about mechanics of sloppiness, I think with modern quarterbacks, you got to live with part of that because they're not great mechanically, to be honest. All right, let me ask you about the offensive line. Um, and uh, I'm one of the football geeks who actually pay enough attention to the offensive line to have a grasp on it while they're playing, and I go back and try and um, get a, a second look at every single Eagle game. And I'll once again concentrate partially on the offensive line, but I'm not breaking down game film, coaches' tapes like the coaches actually do. But the offensive line is not good this week against the Giants. And you had the possibility of getting Jordan, Jordan Mailata back out there again. They chose not to. I understand he's great depth on the bench, but if he stays on the bench or two tackles stay out there, and uh, both Peters and, and Johnson did, he seems to be a wasted option on the offensive line. So it comes for me back to Jason Peters dictating again, I'm a left tackle. You moved me there. Now we can't revisit the whole I signed as a guard thing. Why is this shaking out the way that it is? Well, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. And and I think if you were in a rebuilding season, uh, Jordan Mailata should be playing tackle. The Eagles look at it a different way. And, they, you know, you mentioned first place, and Doug said it again on Monday. It might not be pretty, but we're in first place. And as long as they're in that uh, mode and they think the playoffs are a possibility, they're going to play their best players and they feel Jason Peters is, is their best left tackle. I, I will disagree with you. Uh, I think the offensive line uh, played very poorly against the Giants, but I think it was the interior. That's the right. worst. Well, uh, that's, I think. that's the point I'm getting. I'm sorry to interrupt you again. Yeah. If you put Jason Peters back at guard, which yeah, apparently that, that Jason Peters argue. gets to dictate where he plays, and you play Mylotta outside where I think he showed that he's capable of doing in the two games that he got to start out there, that improves the offensive line. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah, I, I mean, you can make that argument because uh, obviously Matt Pryor uh, and and actually Sue Petta, you know, it, it was interesting. He was probably better than Jason Kelsey. It, that was Jason's worst game in years. Uh, and the Giants had just a, a really good game plan, stick a big body in front of him, uh, and he really struggled. Um, so, you know, part of the reason is Isaac Samal is coming back. I think he's going to be back in Cleveland, um, and he's going to be the left guard, obviously. Uh, so then you, you have, you understand that's coming down the pike. And Jeff Stoutland has said for years, he does not like moving parts. So in other words, he's not going to move Jason Peters for a week or two and then move him back out to left tackle. Uh, that's part of the reasoning. Um, and, and you know, I, I think that's the way it's going to be. And it's going to be Jason Peters, Isaac Samalo, Jason Kelsey. Likely Nate Herbig when he's back, uh, completely healthy, and Lane Johnson. And, and, and that's the best the Eagles can do at this point, and that's what they're shooting for. Fair enough. I made this point last night. Tell me whether you agree or disagree. 
the Daniel Jones ability to run the football in two games. Almost cost the Eagles one game. Certainly helped to cost them another one with the long touchdown run that he had. Those type of plays, to me, seem to not happen to the Eagles in previous years because they had Malcolm Jenkins. And that was the kind of play that Malcolm always found himself in the hole, in the right spot, being able to diagnose when a quarterback is going to go off and take uh, run the play uh, and take off and go down the field. And nobody is picking up the slack for Malcolm Jenkins this year on that particular play. Is that a fair assessment? Who is not getting the job done? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think, you know, that is the strength of Malcolm Jenkins at this point of his career is his football IQ. I mean, Jim Schwartz will tell you he played at times, he played all seven different positions uh, on the back seven of defense for the Philadelphia Eagles. That versatility is really, really difficult um, to duplicate and and it's, and you can't duplicate it. And, uh, they've, it's taken a number of players to do all the different things that Malcolm Jenkins has done. Um, so I agree with that. There's also the theory uh, that he's a descending player, which I, I would also kind of say is right, and, and the mentality, which I think I've said before on the show, better to give up on a player a year early than a year late. I, I think that was the Eagles' thinking. I don't necessarily disagree with it because this is an aging, expensive roster. It's interesting, though. They never do it with anybody else, and they did it with Malcolm. So I think short-term, you're 100% right. Long-term, I think the Eagles are probably right to move on from Malcolm at this stage of his career because it's it's not going to get better. He's closer uh, to the finish line than the starting gun. I think that's fair as well. Doug Peterson was critiqued for his use of Jalen Hurts uh, this past weekend. Same plays. We've seen him run, run pass options. They not only didn't work, they actually were negative plays this past week, so you knew the criticism was coming. Doug can react in one of three ways. Do it the way he's been doing it. Stick with it. He said this week, hey, I thought I had called good plays. So maybe he just (laughs) rolls out the same package for Hurts or – he skims back and Hertz doesn't see the field this week. Or they put Hertz in and they actually let him throw the football. That he stays in, that Carson comes off the field and he gets a series and throws the football a couple times. Which of those three scenarios is most likely? Uh, I, I think most likely a status quo, unfortunately. And I, I don't like the package. I don't think they should be using the package. I also don't think you should take the starting quarterback on the field. Uh, I don't like when New Orleans does it, when it's successful with Taysom Hill. Um, I, I just don't think uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, with the most uh, obviously important position in, in the game. I mean, uh, especially, you know, if you look at Drew Brees, it's going to the Hall of Fame. Now, um, in Carson Wentz's case, uh, obviously he's not playing well this season. So, I, I mean, if you want to bench the guy, bench the guy and give Jalen Hurts a chance. Uh, I don't think it's going to get any better if you do that. Uh, but, I, I mean, this I, I don't think it helps either quarterback. I don't think it helps to take Carson off the field, uh, and I don't think it helps – Jalen Hurts to give him this series. I, I, I don't think that's fair. Um, so I, I don't like the pick when they took it. 
I don't think it made sense at the time. I think it makes less sense now that we've seen it in action. Uh, he's not a Taysom Hill type player. He's not a Lamar Jackson type player, uh, type athlete. He's, he's potentially a good quarterback and he should be the backup quarterback. And maybe someday he develops into a starting quarterback in this league. But right now, the backup should be the backup. All right. We debate about uh, Carson Wentz and play calling and why things aren't working on a week-in, week-out basis. Let me go to a real specific relationship. Carson and Dallas Goddard, they got off to a real solid start this year before Goddard went down with his injury. He's now been back for a couple of weeks. He was open on one play, and Carson just woefully overthrew him. That's on the quarterback. But it just seems... Their mojo isn't working. He's not finding them, or he, the tight end's not getting open. Why has Dallas Goddard and Carson Wentz, my opinion here, gone bad? Is there an explanation to it, or am I just crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy, but I think the explanation isn't involving anything other than the quarterback isn't playing well, and the quarterback is okay. woefully inconsistent right now throwing the football. So I think you see it with everybody. You, you know, uh, the one guy who was successful was Richard Rodgers, interestingly, because he's played uh, very well. I don't yep. think a lot of people saw that coming. And Travis Fulgham, obviously, for a number of weeks, uh, had, was playing very well. But even uh, the Giants uh, took him out of the game with Bradbury uh, for large portions, and, and even that went away. So. It's been with every receiver, the lack of consistency. Uh, part, it, you know, part of it's on both sides, especially with the young receivers, guys like Rager and Hightower who don't run the best routes. Um, but in Goddard's case, you know, more often than not, it's that the quarterback is not consistent throwing the football. And then the second part is there has been, from Dallas's standpoint, uh, a little bit of rust coming back from the injury, which I think is understandable, and I, I think that will get better. Uh, but the Eagles need the best players on the field, and that continues with Isaac Sayamalo. they got to forget this rust and ramping up people. Zach Ertz as well. Zach Ertz, uh, they activated the 21-day practice window. If he's cleared, he's got to play in Cleveland. They can't play this haughty game, which they did in week one with Miles Sanders. They did against the Giants with Isaac Samalo. They they can't think they can get by teams. If these guys are ready to play, put them out there because they're your best players. I remember talking to you last week. You and I both thought on Tuesday night Samalo was playing this week, and I was surprised, sure closer to shocked, uh, but not completely shocked, but very surprised. It, it no go. It not even activated. Uh, dare we? <laughs> prognosticate as to whether he is or isn't going to play this week? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine he won't play this week. I mean, Doug kind of said on, on Friday, he kind of scaled back and, and, and used that as the explanation. Isaac hadn't played since week two. It's a long way out. They wanted to give him more of a ramp up here to shake some of that rust off. Um, let him shake it off on the field. Because he, even a a... Uh, 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 and Isaac Sayamalu is struggling a bit because it, he hasn't played for a while, is going to be better than what you've got 
from Matt Pryor and Suo Pettis. He just is. All right, last thing, John. Uh, I don't do this to you often, but I just feel the need to do it this week, and it makes me a bad guy, so I apologize in advance. Uh, there are four ways that the Eagles game can go against Brown this weekend. The Eagles play awful and get handled and look like you-know-what, and they get crushed for it. The Eagles play well, do some nice things. Offense is better. Yeah, the bounce don't go the way. Like this past week, special teams plays lousy and gives the Browns an easy setup or something like that. There's arguments to be made for the Eagles playing well, but they come up short and don't win the game. They could win the game or still look lousy because I don't think Cleveland's all that good, kind of like beating the Cowboys the way they did. Or the, oh, my God, where has this been hiding? 35-7 to win over Cleveland. Which of those four scenarios is most likely in your mind this week? Well, I'm pretty sure they're not going to win 35-7, to so I'm going to take that one out of the equation. Okay. Uh, I, I think they could look better than expected uh, because I, I do think people look at Cleveland and the running game and the offensive line uh, and say it could be ugly. I think the Eagles could play better. Uh, than people expect, but come up a little bit short. Because I agree with you. You know, without Odell Beckham, the Browns don't throw the ball very well. They're still not great defensively. Uh, so I think people are skipping steps with them, uh, assuming they're a really good team. They're a lot better than you typically think of the Browns, and Kevin Stefanski deserves a lot of credit. But it starts with those running backs, that offensive line, that running scheme, and that's what the Eagles do well. We mentioned misdirection, Jody. They have trouble with the quarterback runs, the jet yep. sweeps, uh, the eye candy. What they do well is stop running backs. So it's kind of strength versus strength. And maybe the Eagles play a little bit better than people expect. But ultimately, I, I think they come up short. And one thing they need from that highly paid defensive line this week I like Baker Mayfield coming out of Oklahoma, and uh, I had no problem with him being the first pick in the draft. I actually thought Sam Donald was a little better, and they're having similar careers. But uh, I thought Baker was a winner and a leader, and he had some skills. But the one thing that Baker doesn't do, he's not six foot five and can't just drop back and throw over people. He tries to force the ball in from time to time. Get your hands up, guys, on Sunday. Because a tipped pass may be just the difference in this game. I think it's going to be close. So if you can get a uh, pick six that goes up into the air before it goes down the field, it could be the difference. They've got this big offense defensive line. They're paying. Maybe they can make a play batting down a uh, Baker Mayfield pass. We shall see on Sunday. John, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you much for coming on. You always lend insight whenever you do. We will do so again next week. All right. Thank you, Jody. John McMullen, you can read him at phillyvoice.com, day in and day out, Eagle coverage, SI, SI si.com as well, and is extending the play podcast, uh, must listen for Eagle fans. Jody Mack, coming back here on 94 WIP with reopened phones. I think I got one or two holding on, but if not, you can be first. Hop on my telephone line right now, 215-592-9494. One thing we've learned from... 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.